Fire's burning, fire's burning, draw nearer, draw nearer, in the glowing, in the glowing, come sing and be merry. In our overly connected world, dot, 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 I mean, how many sentences start like that? But it is true. Mm-hmm. And even a lot of people who spend a lot of time in nature do tend to be rushing around a lot. I mean, a lot of outdoor activities involve speed or collecting things. Hello and welcome to Earthy Chats, Fables from the Field. This is our summer sub-series of Earthy Chats, where we're going to talk about our favourite outdoor learning equipment and resources as we share stories of our outdoor adventures and sometimes mishaps out in the field. You know, it's so integral now because I feel like, you know, emergency situation and or sitting for a long period of time, I just I just want that comfort now. Well, my Iceland story is not nearly as dramatic. <laughs> Tough to top, 100 kilometer winds at altitude, moving over a glacier. I don't even think it was windy where I was at my sit spot area, but it is a sit spot story. This was in July. This was probably early July. And I, w- I was leading a tour. It was right near the end of the tour. And I'm going to say the name of this wrong, but near Feragardi. Hey there, folks. This is Ian, one half of the Earthy Chats host team. I'm just here to let you know about the Talking with Green Teachers podcast produced by Green Teacher. If you don't know who Green Teacher is, we are a nonprofit network of environmental educators all around the world. You can join this network for only $32 a year. That includes a subscription to our quarterly magazine, which has been running in North America since 1991. All proceeds go back into the organization to help us enhance environmental literacy among young learners. For more information, check out greenteacher.com. You can find Talking with Green Teachers wherever you get your podcasts. All of the resources featured in this podcast, plus many more, for students and educators alike, can be found online at the Outdoor Learning Store. Visit www.outdoorlearningstore.ca to view what's on offer. From waterproof notepads to binoculars and dip nets to sit pads, the store has you covered to take your learning outside. In addition, there are educator resource books to help you take your outdoor education to the highest level. That's www.outdoorlearningstore.ca. We're Canada's non-profit resource store. I guess we were talking uh, today about sitting, really. That's I mean, right. I guess when you <laughs> thrilling <laughs> stuff, <laughs> and you know, our bodies, you know, technically they keep telling us we're not designed to sit, go and move, go and walk. But I think, yeah, in nature for me, there's often a lot of activity. But then on the other side, um, being able to pay attention and focus in and settle down uh, is quite necessary for a lot of sort of outdoor pursuits. Um, and one of the things that I think, I don't know, my nan has been using this for gardening for time eternal, you know, a little sit pad or a kneeling pad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it's become a thing that's widely available. 
um, these little foamies, which also work as um, sort of butt supports for a luge on snow hills. Yeah. Um, frisbee found that they work particularly well <laughs> as a frisbee, and they're quite gentle if you do get hit with one. I can say that from yeah, us spongy. having a yeah, super spongy, and there's a little pop out bit which. So it comes with a bit of foam where the handle is, these ones. And um, when you pop it out, that has got a little hole in it and it makes a great floaty key ring. So I've put mine on my key rings and my keys will float if I'm ever out paddling or anything. So extra bonus, bonus materials. It's ingenious. Um, right? But I feel like, you know, back in the day, it was all like, you know, you would just sit down and it wouldn't be a problem. But like, if we're talking about teaching and outdoor learning for kids, right? If it's not snowing and they're not in snow waterproofs or whatever, um, the potential for going outside and learning and then having a dirty clothes or muck on you or whatever, it really puts some teachers or and or students off. So yeah. having a sit pad is a great idea. Well, when we did a webinar back last fall with Dave Quinn, who's obviously, you know him out, out in the Columbia Basin, mm. and he made a great point that when you're sort of transitioning from an indoor to an outdoor classroom, the indoor classroom and, you know, sitting at desks, whether or not you're in rows or not is, is immaterial, but sitting in a somewhat organized manner is the comfort zone. And to have a soft transition to the outdoor space, bringing sit pads so that at least you you have your sit place for learning. And it's a lot less like jumping into the deep end of the pool immediately. It's kind of like wading into the shallow end. And I thought that was a great point. And even if the ultimate goal is to get comfortable with outdoor learning with or without a sit pad, it can be a critical tool to bridge that gap. So yeah, that was a really nifty insight from uh, the incomparable Dave Quinn, who's out in yeah. your neck of the woods, your neck of the yeah. river, I should say. My neck of the river, yeah. And he is exceptionally knowledgeable about rivers um, yeah. as well and runs programs for Wildsight about that. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that I got some feedback from from teachers was that in the time of social distancing, which, you know, or having kids need to be in particular places regardless of whether mm. that is for uh, social distancing or not but sit pads provide um an indicator of where you need to be so if you separating into groups um one teacher i know each kid has a number and the sit pads are numbered mm -hmm. so the first thing she does is just call out one and child number one comes over and two and so that they also then know where they are in a line um but then they go and sit down and they she calls out the numbers and they get group and then they're in that right spot for whatever situation or activity is going to happen um so it's almost yeah it's not just comfort but it's organizational yeah and i feel like if you're doing something like the survival game or like iterations of it and you have your specific spot you know your habitat spot if you're representing producers or consumers or, or whatever else it's just such a great tool and there's that ownership of it if it's numbered or if each student has an assigned number it's theirs so they probably engage more with the activity and uh, have you ever played the survival game or some sort of variation yeah i've played that's many great. different versions i have one that's like older kids where i go the night before and i hang things in trees and they yeah. have to find these you know things and there's an individual color crayon for each 
water or food mm. they find so they can't cheat and just go back to the same one four times <laughs> and a very simple one using uh, like colored um oh, what are they called pipe cleaners pipe cleaners oh, yeah, those uh, are blue yeah blue ones for water green for food and brown for shelter and um they yeah they each have their base and they just run into the center uh on a time limit with one wolf guarding and they have to take mm. what they can and get it back. And in order to survive, each child needs, say, three of each over the course of the game. And then we introduce more predators or um, we tag in a teacher who, if they tag you, that's disease, which takes yeah. you out of the game. There's so many and it's such an amazing game. Um, and you're right. Those sip pads like to mark their territory has, has been a great thing. Or if you played... Um, I play another game, it's almost like four cones, and then you have to steal. Firstly, you get food from the center, and then um, when that's run out, you start to steal from other uh, bases or habitats, right? So like mm -hmm. birds, um, like chickadees hide lots of food in lots of different places, because other yeah, birds, stashing. if they find, yeah, if they find a food stash, they don't care which bird, <laughs> you know, stashed it, they're going to be in there, you know, dog eat dog. Um, so they then after they've got the center, they can go to other bases and steal. So if you, you know, that's your sit pad, and someone's coming for you, going to work hard in the game, like you said, to, to, to defend that ownership is, is pretty nice. And just the idea of sitting, like you were saying at, at the top, is, I mean, it's not an original idea, but we are obviously so connected. And yes, it's cliche to say, in our overly connected world, dot, dot, dot. I mean, how many sentences start like that? But it is true. Mm -hmm. And even a lot of people who spend a lot of time in nature do tend to be rushing around a lot. I mean, a lot of outdoor activities involve speed or collecting things whether it be skiing or fishing or bird watching or geocaching and, and on and on and on and mm -hmm. the value of just finding a spot and sitting it can't be overstated and i mean there's so much research that backs this up mm. but it it really is a game changer and it's certainly something i've really embraced i mean i used to back in my younger days i used to <laughs> kind of run around trying to find critters but i just prefer sitting for like five hours now at the same spot and and then and then the nature comes to you right rather oh, yeah. than you searching it and you're making noise that you don't even realize unless you're a sort of expert sort of tracker style yeah um oh i think you're totally right a lot for me is you know i'm gonna climb a mountain get the peak so there's you know speed 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 and then you're not focused on really what's around you. We are the Columbia Basin Environmental Education Network, or CBEAM. You can visit our website at cbeen.ca. We are the regional network for environmental education in the Columbia Basin, supporting a community of engaged and effective environmental educators by connecting them to resources, information, professional development and networking opportunities. Stoked on Science, providing engaging, educational and fun programs across the Columbia Basin. Is your school or organisation looking to develop your environmental programming? Connect your outdoor time more deeply to the curriculum or engage your students or teachers with unique programs that go beyond the basic science topics, like delving into the history of the earth, how it's changed and where it's going. If so, visit www 
stokedonscience.com to connect for environmental education consulting or to book programs for your K-12 and adult professional development courses. One of the things I do with my kids is, is sit spots and we start them even at kindergarten and it starts for a minute. Um, but they either have, they choose a sit spot and that's their sit spot for the year. And uh, we're encouraging nice. teachers to take them out every week. Ideally, I mean, every day if you can. Yeah. And I go in and sort of over four things. Um, and it's called nature through the seasons, actually. Um, it's a wild type program and yeah. um we go to the same, like we find a mother tree and we go to the tree and we look at how it's changed over the seasons and we do these sort of seasonal activities. But the sit spot has been introduced and, you know, you might give them a, um, you know, in, in four, I said, well, what, would it, what does it feel like to be a tree? And they sit and they sort of envision just for a moment, so they could be leading points or they just sit entirely in, in silence. And we ask, you know, what did you observe? Um, and of course, you know, then they start to slow down. And not only is it calming and, you know, meditative, good for their sort of impulse control and that ability to sit and, and be calm, um, they're paying attention to the bugs and to the rustle of the leaves. And I mean, it's so good for you. <laughs> it's so good for you. And a variation of it, this is another thing that uh, Dave Quinn mentioned in a webinar is sit spots in deep snow. And this doesn't really require sit pads per se, but you know, when the snow is like four or five feet deep and you just kind of dive in the snow and just sort of lie there and you're propped up by the snow, it is so comfy, so comfy. Um, I spent some time uh, in Iceland on, um, on this glacier and doing some research. And then one of the things that happens with glaciers is you get this uh, air pressure differential that right. moves across the surface of the glacier and creates catabatic winds. So out of nowhere, all of a sudden from, you know, the, the start zone of the glacier up high, these winds just start racing down. And this is a huge broad glacier I was on and these winds get out to like a hundred kilometers an hour. And there's like very little warning and the wind is rolling across frozen water, right? So the wind is freezing cold. <laughs> and um, even though you're dressed well, because you're, um, you know, above the Arctic Circle at this point, it's um, it still knocks you for six. And we were at this point having to dig like a bit it's sort of like the coffin shape using like our axe axes out of the surface to get low uh and try and get out of the wind flow and i can tell you that and this goes for as well if you've ever been and i hope never but in a first aid scenario in the mountains with snow or anything but you really want to create a barrier between you uh, and the, the the snow or ice if if you need it for an extended period of time and I used a backpack but it meant digging more into the ice to create this sort of concave area to hide in there's a lot of hiding for about an hour um, and I could really have done with a sit pad and now I just don't go anywhere without one like it's in the back of my ski touring pack it's in the back of my hiking pack it's 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 you know, it's so integral now because I feel like, you know, 
emergency situation and or sitting for a long period of time i've just i just want that comfort now well my iceland story is not nearly as dramatic <laughs> tough to top 100 kilometer winds <laughs> at altitude moving over a glacier i don't even think it was windy where i was at my sit spot area but it is a sit spot story this was in july this was probably early july and I, I was leading a tour it was right near the end of the tour and i'm going to say the name of this wrong but near ferragardi maybe not sure I, I liked the way you said it yeah south central western iceland not right on the south coast but close to the south coast kind of off that main highway that runs runs along the south and it's mm -hmm. breeding season for a lot of the the waders the shorebirds and because of course at that time of the year you're you know midnight sun after all of the the clients were asleep i was like oh i have like a free hour i'm gonna wander out from the hotel and you're right out into the tundra and there were lots of breeding waders one of which was the european golden plover which is a, a really long distance migratory shorebird slash wader and there was clearly a nest nearby. So I'd sort of nestled down into my sit spot ready for whatever came my way. And this female golden plover just sat tight behind this little tiny shrub. And of course it's the Arctic. So everything is very short. You know, a, a, mm -hmm. a tree in Iceland is like a foot tall. So it was just behind this shrub. And even if I like, I was sitting in the same spot, but if I would like move my head slightly to the left or right, the plover would slightly reorient her body so that she was just out of view behind this shrub. And it was kind of like this, this game of cat and mouse, even though I was only moving my head like a few centimeters to the right and left. But, you know, I was there for an hour, hour and a half, and it's, I don't know, like 11 p.m. or so. And it, it really, I don't know, gave me an appreciation for being in the world of a golden plover where... At that time, you've got this nest that's exposed out on the tundra, albeit camouflaged, and you've got things like skewas, aka yaggers, and the only land mammal in Iceland, a little fun fact, Arctic foxes roaming around. And I think minks are there too. I think they were introduced. The American minks were introduced for the fur trade. I, yeah. I might not have that right about the fur trade, but th there are minks there. So that, you know, is just an, an additional predator. And it was the kind of thing where if I had been kind of rushing around, you know, snap a photo and move on, I don't know if I would have gotten a full appreciation for sort of how you should act when you're marching out in the tundra at that time of the year. Because I think the tundra can sort of seem like a full playground. It's like, well, it's flat and it's spongy and there are no trees. So, you know, let, let's just have at it. And I know in Iceland, a lot of people like to lie down on the moss because mm. it's you know, it's like sleeping in like the coziest bed ever, but taking that time to really kind of get inside the life of that individual bird really made me think, yeah, maybe don't go kind of guns a blazing across the tundra. It was neat. It yeah. was really neat. Even though I can't pronounce the name of the community. <laughs> I know, but it's a very different language, isn't it? It doesn't fit in the mouth correctly, yeah, and there's all this sort of shh and, and yeah. But I'm I don't know about that being less exciting because I think having a really deep connection, even for an hour. I mean, I think that's amazing. Um, and actually getting that extended one rather than just a minute of like, oh, nice bird, 
on to the next um Twitch. like you had you you had a, a temporary relationship with that with that mm. animal and the fact that that wild animal is you know not flying away but is aware of you and that you had this thing where she's like yes don't you come any closer i'm just gonna hide a little bit more i think that's magical and then potentially as well um that being a kind of like you said about not charging across like an ethical engagement mm -hmm. perhaps when we sit and become a part of the landscape we we give ourselves the opportunity to have a more ethical um engagement where rather than just dominating as humans always do and going straight through and yep i want to look at that i'm going to climb on that it's a moment to just say i am a part of this this sort of ecocentric rather than egocentric part of that natural moment Ooh, very nice so, I stole that. That's, I think, that's basically um, from from what I've been told, it's effectively a sort of indigenous way of thinking, right? Oh, Is yeah. that we are just, we're just all part of it as opposed to it being mine to dominate. And yeah, taking a seat taking a moment, which by the way, for me is hard because I am, <laughs> I mean, you, the listeners can't see, but I talk like I'm punching imaginary adversaries beside me. And I'm a, I'm a fast moving, fast paced person and sitting for me has been uh, a huge journey in discovery and patience. And I'm just very grateful for it. It's great. And just piggybacking on that about being ecocentric instead of egocentric, it, it also engages us with individual beings instead of just species. You know, it's not just I'm in a maple mm. forest or I'm in a hemlock forest or I'm looking at a golden plover. It's I'm looking at that Western hemlock. I'm looking at that individual European golden plover. And like my favorite artist, Lars Janssen, a, a Swedish artist, a, a nature artist, mainly birds. And he talks about how he only paints the individual. Mm. It's like what that individual usually bird is doing. That's what he paints and that's what he captures. And it really shows in his work. I mean, he's amazing and I don't work for him. So it's not like I'm getting commissioned by plugging his art. It's just as amazing. I, he's, he's quite well known, particularly in Europe. So yeah, get to know the individuals that are around you in your special sit spot. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Earthy Chats, Fables from the Field. You can access all of the equipment we feature in the show at www outdoorlearningstore.ca We hope you enjoy your own field adventures this summer. Take care. Iceland story. What's the name of the bird? Um, I I got dive bombed by. Oh, Arctic terns. They're crazy. Terns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I had them exactly draw blood. It. I have a picture. It looks like a like a crime scene, where I've got like blood streaming down my forehead. That was up at, you know, you can't pronounce any of the names, of course. Remember the volcano in 2010, and all the news reporters couldn't see it. They're like, today in Iceland, the uh, that big volcano erupted. You know. <laughs> 
Nobody could say it. <laughs> Not at all. Well, I was there. I was there the week before it erupted. When Eif Eifjekle Jökull, I think. Um, Eifjekle. Yeah, that's way better. That's good. And we were on Breidemerk Jökull, which Holy means geez. broad, dirty glacier, right?